Thank you, everybody, for uh, having me here this morning. And really, it is a huge, huge privilege for me to be here. Um, I really look up to the pastors and staff here at K2. And um, when I first got the uh, message uh, or the email from uh, Dave Nelson, excuse me, I'm just trying to open up my notes here, so (laughs) it closed on me. But um, when I first got the email from Dave Nelson, from K2, uh, you know, the lead pastor here, you know, um, you know, I was really floored that he actually invited me. You know, I was, I was in texting mode, really, in my mindset. I was like, WTF, what the heck? I just got an email from Dave Nelson. He's inviting me to go speak uh, over here at, at your South Campus. So really, it's a huge pleasure for me to be here again. And again, I'm sorry, I'm still trying. My notes just suddenly closed on me, so uh, sorry about this. Let me just open them up here. Well, anyway, just to give you a little introduction about myself, um, I was born and raised um, in Albuquerque, New Mexico. I've been here in Utah for about, uh, about 20 years. I am married uh, to my wonderful and beautiful wife, wife uh, Melissa, and we have been married now for 12 years. I know by looking at me, you might not think that I'm old. Not that old, but I am. We got married when we were 14, so... You know, it works out right. You know, we have two children together. We have a daughter named Trinity, another one named Naya, and um, they just really are the light of our lives. Um, and we are, as Pastor Dave said, starting a church over in West Valley, and it's called New Hope. And really the whole purpose of New Hope is just that for West Valley. We want to start a church for people where it's an area, West Valley, is where People don't have hope out there, and we want to bring up the message of Jesus Christ because that is the one true message that's going to change people's hearts. And so this morning, I will be continuing the series on defining moments. Over the past few weeks, you guys have been hearing uh, from leaders here from K2 Church about defining moments in their lives, things that have happened in their lives that have made them to become the people they are today. And really, to be honest with you, the only reason that I'm here today is because of God. Now, this might surprise you. Not only don't I look like most pastors, well, I know when I first stepped up here, you might have thought I was Pastor Dave Nelson, you know, until you guys saw the tattoos. You know, not only don't I uh, look like most pastors, but I also have a background a lot different than a lot of pastors do. I have a history of drugs, history of alcoholism a history of gang involvement. Um, I've done a whole lot of just really crappy stuff in my life. And um, also, I've never been to seminary, and I've never been to Bible college. And so with all that said, I really, um, it's only a God thing that I am here today. And, you know, when people call me pastor, it still freaks me out. You know, I've been uh, interning over at Shadow Mountain Church, which is another church here in the valley, up on the west side, and I've been interning there for about four years when a person first called me pastor, I was just like, who are you talking to? And you look at the person behind me, I'm like, where, what, what, who, where? And so it's really because of God that I'm, that I'm here. And so I thank God because of, because of the life-changing moments, because of the define, defining moments that God has given me, because of my past, I'm able to honor and to love God because of the past that I've had and, and really honor him and be able to relate to people because um, the defining moments 
And because of these defining moments, I have a ton of defining moments. It was really hard for me to prepare this sermon today. I've, you know, I'm a really stubborn and rebellious person, and I like to do things my way. Who here is stubborn and rebellious? You know someone who's stubborn and rebellious. Go ahead, and someone's next to you, go ahead and tap them, say, you're stubborn and rebellious. <laughs> you know, and that's, that's who I am when, you know, my personality, I have what's called an addictive personality. So that means when I really like to do something, when, when something really captivates me, I put all my effort into it. And a lot of those things I put my efforts to in my past weren't really good things. And um, because of that, um, I've really had to, God has really had to do a lot of things in my life to put me on the right course. And so really, I've really just came up with three defining moments that I'm going to be talking to you guys about today. And I'm also known as being a long-winded preacher. And so I, I like to preach and I like to talk a lot. And so just in case you see some of the staff come over here behind some of the media team, if I'm going over time and you see them coming with a stick, don't think it's weird. They're just trying to get me off stage. And so, you know what, to give you a little background about myself, I grew up in a Christian household. Uh, my parents gave their lives to Christ uh, when they were um, five years into their marriage. And uh, I was born into, they were probably practicing Christians for about, uh, 10 or 11 years when they gave birth to me. And my parents were just really radical people for Christ. They loved Jesus with all their heart. From the moments I can, from the farthest back I can remember, my parents were having Bible studies in their home. Um, the first Bible study that my parents did, they went and not, started knocking on all their neighbors' doors and said, you know what? We found Jesus and we want to invite you guys to come and we're going to teach you a little bit about it. We don't know much about the Bible, but we want to teach you guys about Jesus. So they started t- just knocking on neighbors' doors, and before they knew it, they had 180 people at their Bible study. And that's, that's the household I grew up in. Uh, I made a public confession of faith. I was told by my parents when I was about six or seven, but I wasn't baptized until I was about 20 because of my lifestyle. I thought, you know what, my life is not right with Christ, and so I'm not going to get baptized until I get my life right with him which was kind of, you know, of the wrong motives. You know, my family and I moved to Utah when I was still here in elementary school, which was about 20 years ago. And uh, the demographics back then are a lot different from what they are today. Um, when I moved here, I moved over to Sandy and uh, attended a school out there. And the school I attended at, I was the only Hispanic person, believe it or not. When I went into middle school, I was one of the only Hispanic people. And by the time I got into high school, uh, there was three or four different people uh, of, of, of color, of ethnic background. And so demographics are a lot different than they, what, than they are today. But when I moved here to Utah, the k- other kids weren't so uh, receiving of me because I was different and because I wasn't of the same religious background as they were. And so when I first moved here, they said, why don't you get the heck out of here and go move back to Mexico? And I kind of looked at them and I said, I don't even know Spanish. How am I going to move there? You know? <laughs> how am I going to eat when I don't even know how to speak the language? And they would, they would put me down because I, wasn't, I didn't have the same background, uh, religious background as they did. And so I re- throughout my time of going through school, and up to about, I was about 12 years old, kids were used to pick on me all the time. As you can see, I'm a little guy. And so because of my stature, I was picked on all the time. And uh, a lot of kids, they would spit on my face because I was different than they were. I had a lot of the kids break rulers over the face. I was beat up on. And it really, um, uh, it was really hard during that time uh, living here in this area. And so at a certain point in my life, I was determined to change who I was. You know, I wasn't happy being the Christian guy. You know, always being the nice guy, trying to make peace with people. Uh, I, was, I wasn't happy um, just, 
you know, I, I guess just being myself. And so I decided that, that it was time for me to change to become more like them. So I remember the first time I tried to swear so I can be cool. You know, it was almost how to force myself to say, you know, the S word or the F word or anything like that. And when I said it, I was like, yes, I'm like, ooh, you know, and I'm mean, I'm bad now, I'm cool because I said that word. You know, but the reality was when I started doing that, kids started to accept me. And because of that, I, I, I started getting worse and worse. My family didn't have any idea what I was doing. I started smoking cigarettes when I was around 12 years old, I think it was. I picked up my first uh, joint when I was around 13. I started doing cocaine. Um, I started doing uh, crack and uh, angel dust, all kinds of different things. And um, I was re- really good at hiding it when I would go home. My parents would look at me and they're saying, you know, how was your day at school? And I'd be, oh, it's okay. I'm just really tired. I like to go into my room and just study a little bit. And I was able to get away from that a long time because they were trying to deny the facts of the, thing, that the lifestyle I was living. Uh, I started going and started wearing different colors when I got into gangs and still my parents were a little, they didn't understand. They were just like, oh, he's just going through a phase. He, he likes these colors, I guess, a lot. And he's always wearing them. And so uh, because I wanted to be accepted, I changed my lifestyle. Now with all that said, you might be asking yourself, well, then what happened to make you the person you are today. And it's because God had a greater plan for me and my family. And I, didn't, I did have, and I I've have been on a crash course of defining moments. Defining moments of where I've had to surrender to God. You know, as I said, I'm a stubborn, rebellious person. In the, Old, in the New Testament, it says that God, his children, or just people in general, are like clay in the potter's hand. And he forms them and molds them to be the people that he has created them to be. Now, the per, now the, a personality like myself, you know, God has to form a lot more because I'm, I was a, I'm a hard piece of clay. So he has to get me soft. And so he's had to mold me and kind of squeeze me and kind of bend me backwards. But because of my stubbornness, I keep having to try to form myself back. And so it's a constant um, act of surrender. And the truth is sometimes, you know, surrendering can be hard. I don't know about you guys, but for myself, I've never liked, liked to surrender. Because usually in my background, when I have to come to times of surrendering, it was because the cops were coming after me and I was trying to hide from them. You know, and so, you know, there's different types of surrendering as well. You know, if a person came behind you and put a gun in your back, what, what, what would be your first action? What would you guys do? Your hands would come up, and that is an act of surrendering. And surrendering means just basically seizing to authority. And really, the Bible says that all those, everyone who gives their lives to Christ, they submit to his authority. And so because of that, we all have to learn what it's like to learn how to surrender. And, you know, there's an example of uh, coming underneath good act of uh, surrendering as well, like coming underneath a loving parent. When you come underneath a loving parent, you submit yourself, you surrender yourself to them and to their authority because they love you. And the Bible says that God acts like a loving father to his children. And so we are to surrender because he loves us. In a verse, Matthew 10, 39, it says this, Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Now, notice there, 
that in order for us to gain life, we have to learn how to lose it. First of all, that's not easy because it takes a constant act of surrendering. And the biblical act of surrendering may mean this, giving into something for something greater, letting go of our own habits so that we may become more like Jesus. So in a nutshell, this has been a verse that has defined my life. And, and so I've really had to learn it. Also in Romans 12, 2, it says this, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, the first half of this verse has also been instrumental in my life as I've had to learn what it means to become a new person. Notice that it says, do not be conformed into the image of this world, which basically we become conformed because of the surroundings that are around us. We become conformed to our own uh, sinful actions and our sinful tendencies, our desires and our passions. You know, everything that is around us, everything that within us, we become conformed into that. But Paul, the person who wrote Romans, said, do not be conformed into the image of this world. And growing up here in Utah, that's exactly what I did. I was being conformed to my surroundings. I was giving into my surroundings. And that is not what God wants me or God wants you guys to to do for everyone who's put their hope in Christ. God doesn't want us to be conformed into the world's image. But he says, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And transformation comes only by the time of when you give your heart to Jesus. Because at that time, it says that the Holy Spirit, when you give your heart, he comes and lives inside of you. And when he comes inside your soul, he then transforms you, or in the biblical way, sense is metamorphosis, changing from one creature into a whole other creature. You know, it's like a caterpillar. And then when it goes into the cocoon, it becomes a different creature as it becomes and forms into a butterfly. And that's the word transformation here in Romans. That's the picture that it's giving. We're to be transformed into his son. Before Jesus, we are conformed into a certain image. And God says, that's enough. Now, we have all have different backgrounds. We've done different things, which help us to become uh, better in the ministry when we give our hearts to Jesus because we can use our personalities, our backgrounds, our um, passions, all for Christ. You know, everything has happened for a reason in your life. But when you use the, your backgrounds, you've got to use it for Him as, as He transforms us. And Corinthians 5.17 it says this, therefore, if any was in, in, is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed. Yet, though, behold, Paul's basically saying, look at this reality. This is the truth. The new has come. And that's true for all of us who has put their hope in Christ. Which gives me the message title. See, I've already gone 15 minutes just giving you guys the introduction here. Man, I live up to my reputation. Anyways, my message title is this, Surrender. Have a fixation on transformation. 
I thought fixation, I thought I made it up. I make up words as I'm up here. So if you guys need definitions for anything, come up to me after the service and I'll tell you what I'm trying to say. But fixation means to have a fixed mindset on something, to have a constant glaze. So a fixation on transformation. And when we surrender our lives and our hearts to Christ, really that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to obey his commands. He wants us to love him and adore him so we can fix our eyes on the goal. But as I've been fixed on Christ, there's really been three areas of my life that God has really worked in my heart really worked into my defining moments. And these are three things that has really helped me become the first person that I am today. And the first is this, obedience. I've had to learn what it means to obey. My defining moment on this is my call to ministry. When I was younger, I mean, I, from the time I was a little, little kid, I had these visions of me being in this valley, dreams, and they happened over and over and over and over and over again. You know, you, have, you might have a dream twice, and that might be weird. But when it happens over and over again, you've got to start asking yourself the question, why am I having this dream over again? And this dream consisted of me being in this large valley. And as I'm stationed in this valley, there are people around me. And I ask God, what, what are these people? What are they here? What are they doing? And he says, they are here to hear a message that you're going to deliver to them. And then I go away for a little bit, and this vision, I come back, and then there's more people around me. And I ask God, why are there more people here? And he says, it's because of the message that you're going to deliver to them. And I go away for another certain amount of period, and I come back again. And now there's a multitude of people, and I can't count them. And, I'm, and I get scared, and I ask God again, why are these people here? And he tells me, they are here to hear the message that you're going to deliver. And then this rock appears right next to me, and God tells me, stand upon the rock. So I get upon this rock, and I look up, and there are people stumbling over themselves in this vision. And I'm like, God, why are they coming here to me? And he says, they're not here for you. They're here for the message that you're delivering. And that was, you know, that happened when I was a kid. And then when I started getting into my whole lifestyle, my, all the drugs and doing all the stupid things, the vision stopped. And really, the, I knew those visions were always there. They were always in my heart. But I didn't want to do that. I knew that meant I had to do some kind of leadership. I was going to be some type of leader in the church. But I denied it because I'm like, how can God want a person like me to do that? Why would God want someone like me to do something so great? So I was always in denial of the call. Now, after a certain period of time, when I was around 20, 25 years old or so, I was already married by this time. And me and my wife had, I'm not going to go into the story, but it was really a, um, a, hurt, a hurtful experience. And we uh, sat down after this time. Because at that time, I was going to strip bars. I was doing all kinds of stupid stuff. You know, we were going to church on Sundays and acting like Christians. But during the week, I was out going to strip bars. I was getting drunk every night. I was there puking every night. My wife was, uh, we had a real bad relationship. Almost every, every day, we talked about getting a divorce. It was real hard. But think, if something happened to us, and we just said, you know what, that's it. It's time to stop living as half hearted Christians. And it's time to be 100% fully devoted and fully delighted followers of Jesus. So we got on our knees and I said, Lord, 
The only way we're going to survive this, the only way we're going to be changed, the only way we're going to be able to, to survive is if you come and you take captive of both of our hearts. If you change us, now, I, I didn't know what I was praying at the time, but if you change us, I will do anything for you. And at that moment, at the time I prayed that, the vision started coming back. The dreams came back again. You know, in John 14, 15, it says this. If you love me, you will obey my commands. You know, over and over again, God has warned people about the dangers of not following his commands. We can see a lot of his commands in Scripture. You know, these commands are not only found in Scripture, but the Bible says that when the Holy Spirit comes into our hearts at conversion, then he leads us and he guides us. He is there as our counselor. And when we start doing things we shouldn't be doing or we should be doing things that we should be doing, then he talks to us. Just like in those dreams. Me stepping into ministry wasn't something found in Scripture but it was something that God put directly into my heart. And maybe that's the same thing for you today. Maybe God has been speaking into your hearts. Maybe not to get into ministry. Maybe it is an an act of getting um, into ministry or start paying paying tithes or something. I'm not God. I don't know what he's telling you. But the Bible says that when God speaks to us, and we don't obey, then we're directly being rebellious to God and we're turning over towards our own desires. And when we do that, God isn't happy. Notice right there where it said in John 14, 15, if you love me, if you love me, you'll obey my commands. If is a conjunction, it's a conditional clause which means that if you really are about something, you're going to react to that. If you're not something, then you're going to respond another way. So if you love me, if you really love Jesus, not if you love religion, not if you love tradition, not if you love K2, not if you love the leaders here, we don't respond to that. If, is, if we love Jesus, That's where we put our hearts towards. That's who we put our love towards. That's where we set our gaze at. That's all that matters is if we're obeying Jesus. If you love me, you're going to obey me. And that has taken most of my life for me to learn that. Throughout my life, I've been running the other direction from God. And I had to come to a point, when I read that verse for the first time, I read it multiple times, but I kept ignoring it. But the first time that really God grabbed my heart and says, do you really love me, Josh? Do you really love me? Then start obeying me. And so, with me getting into ministry, I really had a lot of different things why I shouldn't have gotten into ministry. I looked at myself and I said, God, I'm tattooed. People are not going to watch me because I'm tattooed. People don't want to hear me speak. I don't even have a history of being a public speaker. 
I remember the first time I got into public speaking, I was so freaking scared. You know, before that, I was um, a businessman. I, I grew up in a, in a small business family. Man, and I was a good salesman. I was a real good salesman. You know, I'm not trying to get, be prideful, but I was. But I was used to the one-on-one relationships, nothing like this. And I said, God, are you really sure you want me? And he said, would I be telling you not to if I didn't want you to? Obey me and watch me change your life. And the same truth is for you. If you love God and he's telling you to do something, obey him. Even if it's found in scripture. Maybe you have a lifestyle or something that you're going through that's like mine. I, was, I, I have done a lot of dumb things. Submit yourself to God and surrender to him through obedience. And you're going to notice that God is going to radically change your life. If you love him. Because he loves you. You know, the second defining moment in my life, and the second thing I had to learn how to do was trust God. You know, as I said, I felt so unworthy to have, to, to be a pastor, to have a, a, a high calling like this. I'm not worthy. I'm not worthy to be on the stage. I've done so many dumb things. You know, when I first started seeing pastors, I, guess I, said, I grew up in ministry, and I thought pastors were born with a Bible in their hand. You know, they're going through the womb, and you know, they've got the Bible in their hand, and the first words, you know, right when they get out of the womb is, and the Lord says. You know, I thought they were, pastors were, never made mistakes. That they were these just super holy people. But they're not. Pastors are just as human as you are. Trust me. And so I said, God, I felt so unworthy, and I think that you made a mistake. You know, in the transition from small business owner to a pastor, you know, I really felt inadequate. And these are the five reasons why. What the heck is church planning? Because when I got into the pastoral role, the first thing that was said to me was this. You know, we don't want you just to be a pastor. And I knew this was a confirmation from God because it's, a lot of things happened. But we want you to start a church. I said, start a church? Church planning? What is that? I'm not qualified. I'm a small business owner. I know how to run a business. But I don't know anything about the church. I have no professional schooling behind me. The second challenge that faced me was, um, you know, I really felt that a pastor needed uh, some type of degree in the wall. You know, that's what makes a pastor is the degree. Man, I barely passed high school. I left public school with a .1 GPA. I finally went, I got kicked out of a lot of schools and got kicked out of Jordan District. Started going to private schools, got kicked out of a few private schools. And I finally, you know, I was just, you know, I got to straighten up my life. And so when I did, I ended up uh, graduating with a 3.8 GPA. It just shows that when you apply yourself, you can do anything. But the thing was, when I get in, got into ministry, I felt so inadequate because I didn't have a degree. Another thing was, you know, no professional experience in ministry. When I, st- when I stepped into the role, I had a mountain like this to climb. And God says, do you trust me? If you trust me, 
then do what I'm telling you to do. You know, the fifth thing was I had a very low self-esteem from, about myself. A very low self-esteem. Because of my childhood, I brought that with me throughout my life and throughout my adulthood. I always saw myself as the little skinny Mexican who didn't measure up to others. Always the one who got spit on. The, um, I have ADD and a few other things, and it's really hard for me to learn. I have to read a book twice to really understand anything that's within it. And so I was in special classes growing up also in uh, elementary school, just trying to get up to the speed of normal kids. But the thing, though, is God said, do you trust me? In Psalms 56.1, it says this, In God I trust, and I will not be afraid. The word appears a hundred times. And 66 times in the Bible. In Psalms alone, trust appears 50 times. You know, sometimes we don't trust him because we limit him by our own human understanding. I was limiting God and his power and what he can do through my life because I put my own fear in front of him. I said, God, you cannot use someone like me. I have all these inadequacies before me. And I was limiting God. And we do that. All of us limit God at times. I don't know if God has asked you to do something. And he's saying, do you trust me? And then you sit back and you see all your inadequacies, uh, inadequacies or whatever might be there. And we start walking the other direction. And when we start walking the other direction, we're really telling God, no, I don't trust that you're all-knowing and that you're all-powerful. If you trust God, then react to it. Do not be afraid. I remember, like I was telling you guys, I was so scared of public speaking. My first public speaking engagement was for an Easter service at a, the church I was interning at. And I had my notes <laughs> and I went up to that stage, and I was shaking so bad. You can literally see the paper shake from the very far back row. I was sweating. I didn't know what to do. When I went, after the announcements, after the service was over, you know you did bad when people come up to you and say, it's okay. You did okay. You know you did bad when that happens. And that was my first experience, and that was an over Occur, that kept occurring over and over and over again, no matter how much I practiced. I even put up um, a, uh, what's that called? Where you, um, what is it? Huh? Like not, not an easel. It's um, like a pull-up bar. I've got a, a portable pull-up bar. I put in my office at the church. And so to help my nervousness, I would go there and do like, you know, 20 pull-ups. Okay, now I'm ready. Now they don't work. So I ended up getting, um, like, tacks. And I would put tacks in each one of my fingers. And I would squeeze the tacks to try to not show that I was nervous. And I would squeeze so hard that blood would drip out of my, out of my fingers because I was so scared. I finally just said to God, I trust that you, that you did me here, but I'm, I, I'm done feeling like a fool. 
And I remember going outside to my back patio. And I remember crying to God. I said, I'm done. I'm sick of being the fool. And I was bawling outside. And I was saying, God, change me, please. Please help me to no longer fear. Please, I'm sick of being afraid. If this is the calling that you want for me, if this is really what you want me to do for the rest of my life, then I need you. I need you to change me. If you don't change me, then I'm done. I'm not going to do this no more. And I sat there for a minute or two, and I felt my heart change. I looked up to God, and I said, you know what? Even if you don't change me, I trust you enough that this is the place where I'm supposed to be at. And if I'm going to look stupid every week, then I'm going to be stupid for you. If I'm going to be a fool, then I will be the best fool I can be for you. And I had to learn how to trust. You know, I'm probably not going to get, be able to finish this up. I have a lot more to go. You know, I was just going to end with these last few verses. In 2 Corinthians 7, 9 through 10, it says this, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief. This is, uh, there we go, thank you. For you felt a godly grief so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. You know, all of us here have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And because of the wrong things that we've done, we grieved God. But even though we grieved God, and because of our sins, we've separated ourselves from him, he loved us enough that God sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for our sins. And all we have to do to find eternal life is to repent, to give up ourselves, and to follow after him. And when we do that, the Bible says that God is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins. Romans 12.1 says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual act of worship. The problem is, is because we're living sacrifices, we always tend to get off the altar where God wants us to be. What we have to do, what I've had to learn in my life, and what every single person here has to do, is we've got to learn how to surrender our lives to God. And by doing so, we must have a fixation 
on transformation. Because when we do that, when we have our eyes fixed on God, when we have our eyes fixed on Christ, and when we have our eyes fixed on the person that God intended me and all you to be, then you notice that God will do some amazing things in your lives. I've had my own defining moments, and I know that all of you had yours too. If you haven't given your life to Christ today, or if you have been acting like how I did before I gave my life to Christ, you're a half-hearted Christian. You are going, you're coming to church on Sundays, but you're living a whole other lifestyle on, during the week. Maybe this is the time for you to have your defining moment and say, from this point on, I am surrendering to Christ and I'm going to have a fixation on transformation. I'm going to go ahead and close up the sermon now. But I want to give you an opportunity. If you don't know Christ this morning, everybody just bow your heads as I get ready to pray. If you're done living life your way, if you're done, and if you're, if you're ready now to surrender your life to Christ, if you're ready now to give your heart over to Jesus, if you're ready now to recommit your life to Jesus, you're ready to surrender, then go ahead and raise your hand because God wants to see that. God is ready. Thank you. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. I see your hand. Now is the time to have a defining moment in your life. Now is the time to surrender because when you surrender, when you're fixed on Jesus, you're going to notice him do some amazing things. I'm going to pray. Dear Lord, I thank you, God, for that you're the King of kings and Lord of lords and that you're the Savior of men. I thank you that you died on the cross, not only for my sins, but for everyone who will give their life to you. I thank you, Jesus, that you loved us so much, that you were beaten and that you were scourged, and that you went to the cross willingly so that we can find life. Lord, with all the hands that went up this morning, you know who they are. I ask that you would empower them and that you would strengthen them and that you would encourage them that from this point forward, that they would surrender, as they surrender their life to you, that their whole life will be changed from this moment on. May they look like, more like Jesus. May they smell more like Jesus. May they, when people look at their, them, may they no longer see who they are, but they may, may they see Jesus. Not their outward appearance, but may they see the love and the fruits that come through repentance. We thank you, Jesus, that you're the Lord of all. And we thank you, Jesus, that you're God. In your name we pray. Amen.